Philippians chapter 4. We've been looking at Philippians here for several weeks, several months now, and uh, we've seen that we are pressing toward a mark. Pressing toward a mark. And that mark is to get to the place on this side of heaven, this side of the Lord's return, to get to a place on this side of death where we are a living example of what a fully mature Christian ought to be. And that is not something that is pie in the sky. That is the mark to which every believer should be pressing. Let's face it. It's hard to really care about those things in the flesh. In fact, I would, I would venture to say it's impossible. The flesh doesn't care about God. What does it care about? Well, the five senses. Food, music, buying stuff, feeling stuff, seeing stuff. But see, in the spirit, if you are a child of God, you have an eternal spirit inside of you. And that spirit can never be happy with all the rest of the stuff in the world. So you got to, number one, know that you're born again. Born again, what does that mean? It means that you literally have a new nature inside of you. Where does that come from? It comes from God. When you trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, guess what happens? God births you into his kingdom. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So being born is not something that you work for and you try to do. and you re- Being born is something that happens to you as a result of something else. Someone else's actions result in you being born. Spiritually speaking, it's similar. What happens when a person is born again? God places you into the family of God. And he guarantees that you will always be in his family by giving you the Holy Spirit who seals you off from that corrupt nature that you have. Where do those bad thoughts come from? They don't come from God. They come from your flesh. They're tuned to the same frequency that Satan himself broadcasts on. Okay? That doesn't go to heaven. It never changes. It sometimes shuts up and sit, it just is quiet and calms down because you stop feeding it or stop letting it have its way. But it never goes away. That's why the Lord has to seal you with the Holy Spirit. How that sealing exactly works, I do not know. But what's interesting is that it's not just sealing you uh, to protect you from that old nature. It's sealing you because it is a guarantee that you are always going to be God's. So what's amazing about this is that people think, well, how can I know for sure I'm going to heaven? Well, you can't if it's based on how good you are. Why? Because I'm like this, you know, what's that, that ride, the big steel ride, steel vengeance? I'm up and down, up and down. Sometimes I go upside down, you know. And I hate those rides. I'm not a big fan of the twisty, twisty rides. I just like up, down, you know, all that. But that's how my flesh is, up and down. If I'm trying to figure out whether I'm going to heaven based on how good I am, you might, I might as well give up. Very frustrating. Because I know myself. Sometimes I try to work hard. Sometimes I don't care. And that flesh goes up and down. But on the spirit, the new spirit, the new nature of Christ that's given to you, it is a gift of God. It's not something you earn or work for or you really try to fix that. Stop yelling at your wife already and maybe you can be a Christian. No. Christians shouldn't yell at their wives. Yell at their wives. But I will tell you this. 
No Christian is a Christian because he doesn't yell at his wife. No Christian is a Christian because he stopped sinning. No. Salvation is a gift from God that I receive. So people laugh, they mock, and they say, well, how can you know for sure you're going to heaven? Nobody knows. And they say that with confidence. No one knows. Like, if they don't know, no one could possibly know. Well, listen, it's not based on how, how, what I know more than you. All I know is this. If God's walking by me and he says, you want to be saved and go to heaven forever? I say, yes. He goes, here. What did I have to do with that? I'll tell you what I had to do with it. I said, yes. That's the only thing. How do I know I'm going to heaven? When God walked by me and said, you want to go to heaven forever? I said, yes. I received it and now I have it. And see, what God gives, he gives forever. Because he didn't just give you eternal life, he put you into his family. Even more than that, he put you into his body. You're in the body of Christ, spiritually speaking. Explain that one. I have no idea how to explain it. I know this, I'm in the same human family as any human that's ever lived. I didn't have anything to do with that, but I'm so thankful that I am. Salvation is similar except for this. No one asked me whether I wanted to be born. But God's asking you today whether or not you want to be born again. That is something you get to decide for yourself, whether you get saved or not. See, once you are saved, now God lives in you and he has something he wants to put. A lot of Christians get frustrated here because they're like, yeah, I'm saved. It's my fire insurance in case anything bad ever happens. That's not the whole idea. The idea is the Holy Spirit comes in and says, all right, what am I going to do through you today? That's what he wants to do. And Christian, if you're frustrated, this verse has some really good help for you. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 4. In verses 6 and 7, it's, it's telling us how to pray right. And if we'll take everything to God in prayer, turn our cares into prayers, peace is not only available, peace is guaranteed. In verse 8, we're instructed on how to think right, how to think the very thoughts of Christ. And now, the third link in this very short but very strong chain is found in Philippians 4, verse 9. This is page 985 in your pew Bible. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Here, in the clearest language imaginable, we're told that to act right is to do what we know is true and honest, just, pure, and lovely. It is to do what we were told in verses 6 and 7, to take our cares and turn them into prayers. Doing right is just as necessary to finding God's peace as thinking right. Doing right is just as important to fellowshipping with the Lord as praying right. Notice, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. Let's look at the prerequisite for action. Because I want to talk about action today. Action. When I was a kid, I used to play with action figures. And those action figures were not meant to look at on the shelf. They were meant to do things with. They were meant to take out and to put into the sand and to fight and to throw and to push and to punch action figures. See, action is something that we all know is important, but sometimes we forget to take action on it. But before he says, do these things, 
He gives us a prerequisite. The prerequisite for action is found in verse 9. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. Here's the prerequisite. You've got to learn, receive, hear, and see some things before you jump out and, and run off half-cocked. All right? He said, learn. You've learned these things. Now, you've got to learn right living because it certainly does not come naturally. Have you noticed that people talk about there's no common sense today? Or people, I don't know how they were raised. They must not have been taught right. There's certain things that, that, that unless your parents drilled it into your head, you don't, you don't get anyhow. You have to learn that. Notice here, they have to learn to do what's right. I don't know about you. I was not a big fan of school. You know what I looked at most in school? The clock. <coughs> Why? I want to get out of school. I don't want to do school. I want to be away from school. That's just natural. It's nat- we, all have to, we all have that in our nature. And I know some of you nerds are like, I love school. I don't want to talk to you. I don't see you. I don't want to believe you. I think you just wanted attention and you couldn't get it any other way. That's my theory. But, but, but we, we, we all have to learn things. Now, we, there's a commercial down in, in Florida. It was a, a, a commercial for, I um, can't remember the name of the guys, but the big old, big old guys that really bought into this idea. We're hayseeds and we're going to use it to, you know, turn it into marketing and everything. And they did. And they'd come on with their big old straw hats and their straw in their mouth and, you know, teeth painted black. And they're like, we're fixing to learn you about buying a new car. Right, and they all had this idea like they're going to teach us how what it is, you know, and and uh, sometimes as humans we 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 push back. I don't need to learn from you. Well, here he said, I, "You've learned some things from me." Okay, and then he said, "Received, received." Now that's different from learning because you can have things in your mind that go over and over and over in your mind. You'll never forget them, but you never actually believe them. They never sink down into your heart. You never receive them. In fact, some of the things that you learned from your parents, you may push back against. And you may not like your parents, but apparently they taught you pretty well because you can't get it out of your head. But you didn't receive it. They said this is the way things are, and you're still fighting to prove that that's not the way things are. You haven't received it in your heart. And the truth is, there are some things that you should not receive. Just because people say it doesn't make it true. Just because you learned it. Some of you had, how many of you realized when you got out of high school that evolution was a lie? You didn't know it in high school, but you learned it after high school. Wow, I never knew that. Evolution is a lie. It is a lie. It's a fanciful tale. It is a theory. It is not a proven fact. How do I know that? Isn't it true you have to observe something for it to be a scientific fact? Isn't it true you have to repeat something multiple times to make sure that it is true? Evolution is not true. Okay? So those things that you learned may or may not have been received. It's not just true for lies. It, it's, it also applies to the truth. You can hear something, but unless you receive it, it's not going anywhere. And then you notice as well, there's an example that's been given to the Philippians. He said the things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. I think it applies to all four of those words. 
But you know what? There's something about seeing and hearing. Somebody said, if you didn't see it with your own eyes and hear it with your own ears, then don't blab it with your own tongue. And it's true. Sometimes gossip has a way of just, we just heard it and makes sense. We've got to be careful. But on the flip side of that, if you have heard it and you have seen it, it makes you more accountable. What would you think of somebody who is driving down their car and all of a sudden someone gets in a wreck right next to them and they just go, like, oh man, I hope somebody helps them at some point. We were driving down the road from D.C., I don't know what that, what that road was, the interstate, coming back from D.C. this direction. And we see over in the, on the, uh, the, what's that called, the median or the shoulder, there we go. And there's this, this highway, government highway truck, whatever you call it, and it's got the huge sign, arrows pointing, get over, get over. And so I'm an obedient person. I saw that and I got over. I mean, I'm not always, but I was that time. I got over And so I'm driving, and we're getting up close to it. All of a sudden, I see in the rearview mirror, here comes this white Jeep flying in that road. I was next to the big truck going by it. This guy is flying up behind that thing. And I'm pulling over because I how in the world is what's going to happen? I pull over. That guy, at the very last millisecond, he, he, he swung, he swerved to the right, caught the edge of that Jeep, and just went spinning. Parts went flying everywhere. You know what I said? Well, it's thanks to be him. Got to keep rolling. No, I stopped. Why? Because when I see something, I'm more accountable for that. I'm more accountable. I see wrecks of things that happen on the news, and I don't get involved in that, but I see it. It's happened multiple times. I'm sure many of you have seen wrecks, and I told somebody yesterday, I love the fact that Americans are very kind and generous when it comes to things like that. Crises, they really do well in those circumstances. They'll stop. Everybody's out trying to help. I stopped, and here's the guy. I mean, his, his Jeep was trashed, and uh, he got out, and he started walking around, and uh, he was okay, and, and what was he doing? I don't know what he was doing. probably looking at his phone. He almost went to, uh, to eternity. It was, it was wild. But I say that only because when you see something, it does raise up the bar, doesn't it? When you hear something, you know, you, you, you'll hear people say that. If you hear something, say something. We're more accountable. And so here these people have not only heard, they've learned some things, and, and they've received it in their hearts, How many messages have you heard? How many sermons have you heard? How many good people have said the right thing to you to help you? You and I are no different than the Philippians here. They've got a lot to be held accountable for. And he says, those things... I've got something for you to do because you've gotten a lot. You've gotten... I mean, they got the Apostle Paul as an example. Now it's time for them to practice... What he preached. So the prerequisite for action is learning, receiving, hearing, and seeing. I mean, you, you, you've got you've to have those things. If you haven't heard anything, you haven't learned anything, heard anything, you don't need to get up and do anything. You need to sit and listen. Just being active, just being hyperactive doesn't make you uh, a good person of action. You've got to have something in your head that you can work with. But once you have those things in your head, now comes a very simple word. Do. Do. The prescription for action. 
The prescription for action, that's the second point in case you're taking notes. Here's the prescription for action. Do it. Do it. If you're not living a life on purpose, you may end up spending your entire life consuming meaningless content. So much of the, uh, of the internet is just nothing more than a clickable headline with shareable content. That's all it is. And that's all they want. Why? They're making money. Have you ever noticed that Facebook is making money off of your life? You are the product. When you put your life on there, that's what brings everybody else. And they brings them to the ads on Facebook. When you upload to YouTube, you are the product. They are using you to make money. That's the way it goes. But if you're not careful, you might spend your whole life consuming things that don't really matter. The one thing you need to know to be successful. Shocking message. You know, this super fruit will melt away your fat. You know, this, you want to lose weight? I eat all kinds of sugar and fat all day long and I lose weight. You know, there's some guy on there. This is a metabolism killer, right? And, and there's, you know, all of these, these things that we... Four steps to transforming your financial habits. It's just continual, continual. You know what? We can, we can consume, we can assimilate. You know how much we can assimilate of all that stuff? Just about zero. Why? It's too much. It's too much. There's so many streams of information coming at us. It's hard to really take it all in. And what happens is we actually think that because we're watching someone else live a life or we're reading something that someone smart wrote that somehow we are also living that life and we are also smart. There are consumers and there are creators. And I'm sure there's a balance somewhere, different ratios between those. But let me ask you a question. If you had to choose between being, being a consumer or a creator, which one would you choose? And before you choose, Christian, let me tell you this. You don't get to make the choice. I don't get to make the choice. The Holy Spirit of God should be running our lives. He should be the one that makes the choice whether we live as a consumer or a creator. When we focus on action in our lives, on doing, it has a way of filtering out what we are going to take in. It automatically kind of sets the bar for us. The reason that you don't feel alive is because you've worn yourself out thinking instead of actually doing. When you sit around and think, you're not waiting to live, you're waiting to act. What are you going to do about what you think about? Uh, the story was told to me by my father about my grandpa Marshall, whom I never met. He was born in 1894, and he was gone well before I was ever around. I think he died in 1971. But a story is told of grandpa. He had struggles with hearing, and he, would, uh, he eventually got a hearing aid of some kind. But before then, he was basically deaf. And one day, a bunch of men got together, and they're standing around a hog pen. They're talking about this wild hog, or this hog that needed to be tied up to uh, take to the, to the uh, butchering, the hog killing. And everybody's talking about the way to do it. Here's how we're going to do it. Well, I think we should probably get a rope, and we should probably, I'll tell you what, I'll distract them over here. And they're all talking, talking, talking. Well, Grandpa couldn't hear what they were saying. 
He knew what they were trying to do, so he just hopped in the pen, tied up the hog. While everybody's standing around talking about him. Why? He had a propensity to say, what are we doing about this? What are we doing? Now, men typically lean more towards the doing side. And I'm thankful for a wife that helps me to to balance me out and think through this. And and by the way, my action is not always the right action. But on the flip side, you know, you can be sitting around and you can think about something for the rest of your life and never do it. Worse, you can think you are doing something by doing nothing. You can deceive yourself. The Bible says, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. The prescription for action is doing. Now, if you're waiting to be motivated to do something, that's a fatal mistake. Why? Motivation follows your guts to do something. If you have the guts to do it, motivation will follow. It's one of the secrets of top uh, athletes, champions, they don't work out on days that they feel like it only. They don't wait for the day where they feel awesome and they go to the gym. They consistently work out regardless. They constantly push themselves beyond the bounds. Now, I don't know that that's what we're supposed to do. The Bible says bodily exercise profiteth little. But I think it's a great example of what we ought to be doing spiritually. We ought to be pushing ourselves beyond our comfortable limits. You know what counseling says? Counseling says you need to get your thinking fixed so that you can get your actions fixed. Isn't it interesting? The Bible is exactly the opposite. What did he say in Proverbs 16? Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. You know what the Bible says? The opposite. Obey first, and then your thinking will follow. Do what you know is right, and then your brain will go, oh, I understand now. Do it. This is the recipe for a believer. Do it. How many things do you have in the back of your mind that you're intending to do someday for God? Why don't you tell yourself you're lying? You're not going to do it. You're telling yourself that you're going to do it so that you don't feel guilty about not doing it. All you have to do is say, I'm not doing that. And watch yourself squirm. I'll never do that for God. I will never do that for God. Just be honest with yourself. If you're not intending to do it, you're not going to do it anyhow. It's more of a lie to say that you're going to do it and never do it than it is to say, I will never do it. And maybe God changes your mind. Isn't it true that the, that the father had two sons in the parable? And he said to the one, go and work in my vineyard. And he said, I go, sir, but he went not. The other said, I will not. But afterwards he repented and went. And the Lord asked the disciples, which of the twain, whether the twain did the will of his father? You know who did it? The one who said, I will not. It might actually be better for you to say, I'm not going to read my Bible the rest of this year. I'm sick of it. I'm not doing it. I can't believe you would. But I guess God's okay. Sarcasm. Ready? Hang in there, folks. I guess God's okay with you promising to read it, to read it, to read it, to read it, and never read it. You know what that's called? Hypocrisy. Why don't you just tell God, I'm not going to try to see people saved. I'm not doing it. 
I am not going to try to see anyone saved. People, we're living in Laodicea. It's a dark time out there. It's hard. People are different. The, the world is strange. All these things, by the way, haven't they been said since the beginning of time? They have. They have. You know who we don't say it about? We don't say it about the past. They didn't have difficulties. We have problems today. The people in the past had awesome lives. Don't you realize the people in the past were saying the same thing about the people in the past? Is this too much philosophy? Am I real quiet this morning? Am I preaching to myself? Listen, at some point, you either have to fish or cut bait. You got to say, look, I'm in this thing or I'm not in this thing. And if you couldn't look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm sick and tired of being a Christian. Then stop pretending like you care about the things of God when you don't do anything about it. Are you with me? Now you understand, I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to them. Those people, you can say amen. I'm not going to hurt you. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Our God is a God of action. If you want the God of peace to be with you, you've got to do something, even when you don't feel like doing it. If you only work on the days that you feel like it, you'll never get much done. Amen? Okay. Genesis 1. What does it say in the first first, uh, verse of the Bible? In the beginning, let's say it together. In the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. The very first time we're introduced to God in the Bible, He's doing something. Oh, and by the way, the Bible says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God, what? Moved upon the face of the waters. Moves. What, what is that book that comes after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John? The Acts of the Apostles. Action. Well, I'm just resting in the Lord. Maybe. Or maybe you're resting on what God did for you 20 years ago. Could there be a difference? Listen, do you think God wants you to die today? I don't know. Maybe if it says his will. Nobody thinks that God wants them to die today. God wants us to die a long time from now. Right? We know. I mean, in our minds. Okay, so what am I going to do between the time today and that time? It's all in God's hands. I don't want to do anything out of his will. Would you please stop saying that? That is not true. Because there's a lot of things that you know are God's will that you're not even trying to do. Stop saying you're waiting on the will of God. When you have the will of God very clearly here in black ink on white paper. It's very clear what God wants us to do. Now listen, I promise you this message is not intended to hurt you. It's intended to help you. But it might hurt a little bit, as they say when they take, you know, your blood. This is going to be a little pinch. You're going to be a little pinch. I'm like, that's more than a pinch. It's a long needle going into my arm. It's not normal. Things don't go into the body like that. Okay, listen, this message is going to be a little pinch. Why? Try to encourage you to get ready for the judgment seat of Christ. I want to encourage you to, to do something with the life that God has given you as a gift. 
trying to encourage you not just to be a blob the rest of your life. You don't have to be that. You say, well, you don't know the problems I have. May I remind you who was writing this letter, the human author? was the Apostle Paul. Where was he in, at this time? He was in prison. He was in prison. In prison, he was rejoicing. In prison, he was happy. In prison, he had peace. You and I don't have peace, and we live in mansions compared to what these people lived in. We, we, we have fast food 24 hours a day. We have nonstop entertainment. We have feather pillows. We have, you know, silk sheets with one million count threads or whatever that is. We have climate control 24-7. We have nonstop comfort. And yes, we have a lot of stress. And yes, we have a lot of things that go into this world that, that make it difficult. I agree with that. But guys, if the Apostle Paul in a... First century prison, not three hots in a cot with, you know, all kinds of cable television and tennis courts and and ping pong and weightlifting rooms and all kinds of interesting leather making craft and, you know, all that stuff. He didn't have all of the, the, the influence of the social justice movement behind him. Hey, you're a prisoner. You can rot for all I care. Hope you have friends that bring you food. That's where he was. And guess what? In that situation... He had peace. You know what that means? It must not be the stuff that brings me peace. It must not be the fact that I don't have peace has nothing to do with my environment. Or my lack of stuff. Could be your lack of peace has something to do with your inaction. Action means pushing into a new way of living. Action means I'm committing to this. And I'm not going to stop pushing. I'm not going to stop pushing. Now, sometimes people are really uncomfortable. I just feel like you push and push. And I, I, I understand what you mean by that. But may I remind you, it could somewhat be my personality. It could be the Spirit of God pushing you. Amen. I'll show it to you. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Look at verse 13. Brethren... I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those victories and great things that I did for God 20 years ago, which are behind, and reaching forth unto things I've never tried or done before, or continuing to do the things that are really hard unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Notice it does not say, I pressed Or I will press. It is in the present. I press toward the mark. Now what does press mean? Press means this. If I'm going to push this thing, I press towards it. Pressing it. Pressing it. Why do we have to be so pushy? Why can't we relax? I don't understand. How can you look at this verse and not see what it says? I press. Now that doesn't mean, okay, what are we doing for God? Let's get a tract out here and let's, let's everybody down, pray, everybody pray, let's pray. All right, let's get up, sing, Lord. That's not what the, the kind of frenetic pace that the Holy Spirit moves with. You know what the Holy Spirit moves on? He's constantly pushing you forward. How much? Well, a little bit less than your wife. <laughs> a little bit nicer, maybe. Right? You know, if you're like me, a lot of stuff wouldn't get done. 
if we didn't have somebody pressing on us. Pressing. Okay, so I told you I was going to take out the trash. What does that even mean? Right? Our spouse knows that telling us that we're going to take out the trash means nothing. Because that could be in 10 years. That you were just waiting for it to pile up so we had some extra methane gas coming off. We could siphon that actually power this home. <laughs> I'm going to take it out once we get enough, you know, ethanol. No, I want you to take out the trash. Holy Spirit's pressing on you. You know, part of our problem as believers is the Holy Spirit pressing on us. And what we're doing, we're grieving him. We're pressing back, saying no, no. The Holy Spirit says, give it a tract. No one takes tracks anymore, Holy Spirit. But the Lord's pressing on us. Hey, you ought to spend some time in prayer. I tried that. Remember, God didn't answer my prayer. You ought to reread in your Bible. The King James Bible? Isn't there a better Bible out there? By the way, if you move from one version to another, make sure that you're only moving because the Holy Spirit convinced you that it is a version that is the perfect Word of God. Never use your own preference or your own feelings about which Bible is better. As if you could know what the perfect Bible is. By the way, if you're wanting to know about perfect Bibles, there's only one that claims for itself perfection. No other version on the market claims to be perfect. Why? They know better. And they're scared of saying that. It sounds presumptuous. Oh, we would never say our Bible is perfect. Why not? You're supposedly talking about a perfect God. Right? By the way, if you don't have a perfect Bible, you don't have a perfect God. Because the Bible is the only source of knowledge about God. So it's, it's really clear and very important that you have the perfect Bible. And I give space. Somebody says, well, I believe the NIV is the perfect word of God. I have respect for you. I disagree with you. But I respect the fact that you believe in a perfect Bible. Amen. You know what a lot of Christians do, though? They push back and say, well, I can't understand it. Their flesh says, what does that word even mean? I have access to all of the information that's ever been available to humans, but I don't want to look at that. I just want to complain about the Bible. You guys are a rough crowd this morning. But we're working through this. We're coming along. When are we going to get out of here? Not yet. Amen. Not yet. By the way, this is what I say. Anybody that needs to go, seriously, you can go. Never feel guilty about leaving church. Do not feel guilty about it. Why? There's no law that says you must be in this church X amount of time. I always put it back on people. Because sometimes I do go long. I know that. And if you need to go, go. It's not going to bother me. You know what I'll do? At first, I'll think, well, maybe. And I say, I got to preach what the Lord put on my heart, the best of my ability. And sometimes it go longer, sometimes it go shorter. Most of the time, it's longer. <laughs> right? But hey, listen, we got, we, got, we got lots of stuff to talk about here. Look, if you would, of chapter 4. Look at verse 13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Paul said in in chapter 3, he said, this one thing I do. You can't do everything, but you can do the right thing. And you can do all things that God wants you to do. You see, when I talk about action, 
My desire is that our, that our church would have a, 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 lean, a propensity, a characteristic of action, of doing something. Now, there's some things we can't do. Look, look, if we could fix some people's health, I would do it like that. We can't. There are some things we cannot fix. There are some things we cannot do. But the things that we can do, let's do them. So we have four emphases, and you see those in the bulletin. We have worship, evangelism, discipleship, charity. And for each of those areas, we have something that is not just theoretical, but actual. So, for instance, discipleship. What is that? Discipleship, we want to grow in Christ-likeness. And we, want to, we, we think it's so important that we want to calendarize it. We want to meet together one-on-one and say, here's what the Scripture says, and we're accountable to that. Now let's grow. Let's move in that. One-on-one Bible study. If you're interested, let me know. We could talk about, let, let's multiply disciples, let's see people grow in the Lord. When are we doing that? You say, well, I come to church. No, no, I know Baptists better than that. You can come to church and ignore forever. Right? We all do. We tune in, we tune out, whatever. Good to be there. Nice, whatever. We have no intention of changing our daily plans, of our weekly plans. Well, one of our things, we go to church. It doesn't impact our lives. We're not trying to get anybody saved or baptized or discipled. We're just there. We're just doing it. Right? Now, I told you this was going to be a little pinch on this message. Why? Because our flesh, I have the same flesh as you do. You know what I want to do? What I want to do. But I also have the Holy Spirit of God in me. And he said, those things which ye have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. Do them. How about charity? One of the emphasis we have in charity. We have member care. You know what happens? Somebody comes along, they have a need. We want to show them the love of the Lord. We want to tell them I care about them. You know what we do? We send them a basket. Here's how we do it. We have a a list of people. Some people say, uh, and and that gets broadcast out to a whole bunch of people. Hey, who wants to pick this up? Who can buy this? Who can get this for us? Who can put the basket together? Who can deliver the basket? All that stuff gets put together, and now we're doing something about it. Do. You can do it. How about worship? We have a daily Bible reading calendar called Walk by the Word. The the important thing is to not just say, I want to love the Bible, and we carry the Bible, the Bible, yay, the Bible. you got to read it. And so we have a daily Bible reading calendar. You can pick one up as you walk out the door. Something else we we want to talk about in worship is prayer. Prayer. So we have a prayer fellowship on Thursday morning every other week. We have prayer time on Wednesday night. Why? Because, guys, I don't want to just talk about the theoretical sweet by and by someday that everything's going to be grand and glorious meringue land where we're all going to live. I want to do something for God today. Why? We're going to die. When are you going to die? Guess what? You don't know. So let me ask you this question. Would you rather be afraid of dying and fear and oh, a dread and someday I'm getting old. Some of us ain't spring chickens no more. We're getting old and dying. Yeah, you are going to die. So what are you going to do before that day? Are you going to live or are you going to think about dying every day? You know one of the things that not, that's not dead about you will never die? The life of Jesus Christ. Paul said, we bear about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest. The reason why you're going to heaven is because Jesus Christ is in you. He already conquered death and hell. And he rose again. He's inside of you. But see, he's not excited about the stuff your flesh is excited about. 
He's excited about the Word of God and prayer and seeing other people saved. He's excited about rejoicing in the Lord and the great things to come. We all have these burdens that weigh us down. What are we going to do for the Lord in this wicked world? You see, there's a poison. And by the way, for evangelism, we have something as well. We call it Endeavor. It's our accountability group, and it meets once a month on Thursday nights. I may have scared some people away with it. Because what it is is accountability. Basically saying, who are you trying to lead to the Lord? Now, we don't say, did you talk to them about the Lord today? That's not what it is. It's basically looking at the coming month and saying, who are we targeting to try to see saved? How do you do that? Well, it's very simple. You start by building a friendship with that person. Now, you can give the gospel to anyone at any time, and you ought to be willing to do that. But if you're really trying to see them come to Christ, and really trying to see them baptized and discipled in the ways of the Lord, you might want to take the long look. So what we do at Endeavor is we look at friendship, trying to develop friendships with people that moves to area of faith, and eventually into fellowship. It's not a brand new idea. It's not our idea. It's just a a, a conglomeration of various different models and templates. The goal is this. We know we're going to eat this week. We know we're going to watch something on TV this week. I also know I'm going to try to see somebody saved this week. By the way, isn't it called a TV program? They have a schedule. They tell you when it's going to start. Right? Or, by the way, if you don't have a schedule like that, it's on demand, which means they demand their money every month so you can watch it right? We know we're going to see that stuff. We know we're going to listen to our playlist for my life. Pump up, right? (laughs) Chill out. You know, whatever. We know we're going to do that. So why not do something about the things that the Holy Spirit is prompting us to do? My job as a pastor is not to run around Toledo trying to be the best Christian for you guys. My job is to be an example of the believers in word, conversation, charity, and spirit, and faith, and purity, and then to facilitate your acting out the life of Jesus Christ. That's my job. My job is to make it easy for you to take one step closer. One step closer. Now, a lot of you listening to me this morning, I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little bit, you know, I, I had my Wheaties, so I'm feeling good. A lot of you don't care. The whole purpose of coming to church for you is what? So I can check it off. I went to Hope Baptist. That's where I go. And that's fine. We want you to come. But while you're here, I'm just being transparent. I am going to do my best to help you move forward. One step closer. Not amazing Superman Christian. No, just one step closer. You say, well, I messed up. Well, the Bible says a just man falleth seven times and what? That gets depressed. Just man falls seven times and does what? Gives up. Why? It's hard to be a Christian today. Of course it is. Just like it's been hard in every era. But guys, I don't know if you wake up, shake your head like this, and say, I'm alive in 2024 because God wanted me here. And if he ever wants to take me out of this world, he can take me out. But I ain't dead yet. I'm still alive. If you want me to do a jig, I'll do a jig. Listen, let's do something for God. What should we do? Go back through. How many of you have notes from past messages? Okay. I have so many notes. What am I going to do with them? I'm going to save them. For what? Just so I have them. I 
have no intention of doing anything with those notes. Now we understand, I don't save anything from the meals that I had 20 years ago. There is a sense in which you eat and you assimilate it and it gives you energy and strength. And I understand that. But let me ask you this question. If you do nothing but eat, 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 and you don't move, what happens? Bad things happen. You know, some Christians are spiritually constipated. Is that okay to say? They got so much in the system that's not getting used. You know what happens? You start feeling nasty. You start feeling gross. You start feeling like this world is horrible and terrible and dark. And yeah, it is. But God's got you here in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Some of you have given up on the Lord. You've given up on the idea that Jesus wants to do anything with your family anymore. You've given up and the last time you were on fire for God was 35 years ago. Maybe for some it was two months ago or five months or seven years ago. What happened? Listen, you said, you're just trying to pump me up. Man, if I thought it would work, why wouldn't I? Do you believe in the judgment seat of Christ or not? Do you believe in heaven or not? Is this thing even real? I mean, why don't we just close the book and say, everybody just do whatever they want? Because we're going to do it anyhow. I'm talking to some of you men this morning. There's more in the tank. You are not done. How do I know that? Because you're getting mad at me right now. What does that prove? You got more in the tank. You give it up on God. You don't have faith that God can do anything anymore. Why? Because if God didn't do it the way I wanted him to, it, to do it, with me as the leading star, then I don't think God can do anything. How about this? Let God be God, and you just fall prostrate before him and say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? To do. Some of you give up on your people at, church, at your workplace. They can't get saved. Listen, people love to disappoint you. You've asked people to come to church how many times? Guess what? They love to say yes and do no. They lie. They don't realize they're lying. They're not trying to hurt your feelings. But I will tell you this. What you should do is keep on going. Go back to your workplace. Bend the knee and say, God, save her. God, save him. I'm going to pray and I'm going to work towards seeing that person in heaven someday. Listen, guys, if you can't say amen for your own, would you say amen for somebody else's? Would you say amen for another sister in Christ who's working, who wants to see her neighbor one to Christ? Would you say amen for her? Isn't it amazing how we have more faith that God could work in someone else's life than work in our lives? Some of it is you're not willing to put into action what God's put into your heart. You're not willing to do anything. Well, I tried. I tried. How many iterations of the light bulb? This is such a boring, boring illustration. The light bulb. You know what? Years before the light bulb, the incandescent light bulb with the carbon filament was ever finalized and used for decades and decades and decades until LED came and elbowed them out. Years before it was ever actually finalized, it was in the mind of one Thomas Edison. He did not invent the light bulb. He perfected it. He came to the point where he said, no, it wasn't that, no, it wasn't that, no, it wasn't that, no, it wasn't that. They say outside of his laboratory window, there's a pile of junk where he would throw his failed experiments. Let me ask you, Christian, have you closed the window to failed experiments? When's the last time you threw something failed on the pile? 
You don't think of Thomas Edison as a failure. You think of him as a what? An inventor. An inventor of what? A pile of junk? No. It took a pile of junk to get something that worked. And what happens in our lives? We say, well, it, was, it failed. It didn't work. I guess that's all God has me here for is just failure. Yes. Imagine Babe Ruth. Another strikeout. It's like everything I do fails. Yeah. They say a really good hitter in the major leagues is 300. You know what that means? He strikes out seven out of ten times he strikes out. He doesn't get on base. That's pretty amazing. Christian, if you could take your, your record, your ERA, and you could somehow get uh, or, or on base average, and you could say, I only get three out of ten. That's pretty good. You can make your the top tier. Some of you know a lot better about what I'm talking about than I do. But Christian, I know this. You think you're a failure. You know why you think that? Because you stopped doing. Doing. The world is closing in around you. They're coming to take us away. Ha ha, they're coming to take me away. Guess what? If that's the way you want to feel, I hope they do take you away. Because at least your dreams will come true. I don't know about you. I know this. Well, there, you've not been able to talk that way. Sometimes people say to me, you've not been able to talk that way much longer in the pulpit. Should I stop today? What, what do you think? Uh, listen. If they want to come and take me away, then let them do it. But guess what? They're not coming to take you away. Relax and do something for God. Man, you guys got me fired up this morning. Look back at Philippians chapter 4, if you would. I want you to see a direct line. Again, but listen, we're going along today. Hang in there. If you need to be dismissed and you've got to go, I'm not going to hold anything. I'm not being facetious about that. You need to go. Go for it. But i got more to say. Philippians 4, verse 9. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, colon, and the God of peace shall be with you. There's a direct connection between what you do and your awareness and presence of the God of peace with you. That stagnation and low-grade frustration and perpetual exhaustion comes from your inaction. And that is point three. The poison of inaction. The pain that comes from inaction is low grade and it softens you and it decays your soul. It's turning you into someone that you hate because you won't act. If you know these things, Jesus said, happy are ye if you what? Do them. Since we know them, we can only be happy if we do them. If we don't do what we know, we will not have spiritual happiness. You know why you're unhappy? Because you're not doing what you know. Look at chapter 4, verse 6. He says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So a lack of peace comes from an overloaded heart. But a lack of peace also comes from a vexed heart. A vexed heart. One that knows but does not do. Why? Because of verse number 9. The God of peace shall be with you if you do those things that you know to do. Take your Bibles and look at 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. It's page 1023 in the Pew Bible. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse number uh, 7. 
I want to show you something here that will be a help to you. 2 Peter 2.7. This is speaking of the Lord, delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the righteous, of the wicked. Notice, vexed, it means harassed, it means troubled or annoyed. Constantly annoyed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, notice, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with whose unlawful deeds? With theirs. Was he doing the unlawful deeds? No, they were. But being around them bothered him. Constantly hearing. So vexing our soul, our righteous soul, works both ways. Now watch this. Constantly hearing and seeing bad things that I would never do. Constantly being around them vexes my righteous soul. Constantly hearing... And seeing things that I would never do vexes my righteous soul. How outdated is the Bible? We don't hear or see anything that we wouldn't do. It's about all Americans do. Is see and hear things that they would never do. Why? Well, I'm mature. I've been around the block. I have a filter. I block that stuff out. Why didn't it work for, for Lot? You have a soul and it can be vexed. But on the other hand, think about it this direction. Constantly hearing and seeing good things that you never act on also can vex your righteous soul. It can bring this cognitive dissonance between I should, but I'm not. Set in the back of your mind, I know I need to, but I'm not going to. If anybody hears the word... And not a doer, he's likened to a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. You see, confusion and self-deception comes when we're not doing what we know to do. And that's the reason why he uses the word virtue in verse number 8 of chapter 4. So we have the poison of inaction. It results in no peace. No peace. And lastly this morning, look back, if you would, at Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Those things which ye have learned, and received, and heard, and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Here's the promise of action. It's not the promise of peace alone. It's the promise that comes with action. Here the Apostle Paul is incarcerated, but he's rejoicing. He has no house. He has no car. He has no friends. He has no Uber. He has no uh, DoorDash. And yet he is at peace. Not just at peace. The God of peace is with him. Jesus is left alone in his crucifixion. But he not only had peace himself, I'm going to read something to you from John 16. Behold, the hour cometh, ye now is come, that ye shall be scattered every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. 
In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Was that before or after the resurrection? It was before. Before Jesus Christ ever went to the cross, he's talking about the fact, I know you all are going to leave me alone, but I'm not alone. Why? The Father's with me. I'm going to go do my Father's will. And because I'm going to do my Father's will, I will have the peace of God with me. And not just the peace of God for me, I have enough peace to give away. I have enough peace to give unto you. You don't have to be troubled because I'm not troubled. I'm the one they're going to nail to a cross. I'm the one they're going to beat to a pulp. But I'm not full of trouble. I'm full of peace. The Bible says that if we do what God has put very clearly in our path to do, not only will we have the peace of God that passeth understanding, we will have the God of peace to go with us. Whenever you start a project, you say, I got to get this thing done. I got a lot. Anybody want to help me? Some guy, somebody comes along and says, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's one thing when a man does that. It's quite another when God himself does that. And God comes and says, I'm with you. I can take you through this circumstance because you are acting on what I've told you. Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning.